Acts chapter 2. Speaking this morning on the subject, the God of Easter. The God of Easter. You know, there are people all over the world today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For many people, it's a holiday. They enjoy the the eggs and the... How many of you know rabbits don't actually have chocolate eggs? How How many of you know that, right? Okay, sorry to break it to you guys. These guys on the front row look shocked. A lot of people celebrating Easter today. A lot of candy being sold. A lot of things being spoken of. But what I want us to focus on today is the God of Easter. The God of Easter. Now, of course, at Grace Baptist Church, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. That's why we gather together on Sunday. But you know what? I am glad that as a culture, we set aside a time and just think about the resurrection. And what a wonderful time it is to tell people what what the gospel is And as we're preaching through the book of Acts, I just so happened to be at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. So let's look at this, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So at the upper room, all of the existing uh, 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 disciples of Christ, the followers of Jesus, there were about 120 of them. They're gathered together in one place. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, John Phillips pointed this out, 1,500 days of Pentecost, this this feast day, 1,500 of them have come and gone, come and gone. But now it was fully come. There's something special that was going to happen on this day. And what was it? The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit of God and he filled that place. He filled those people on that day. And now every person that is born again, what does that mean to be born again? It means you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that your sin has separated you from a righteous and holy God. And you confess your sin to the Father and you say, Lord, there's only one way I can come to you. And that's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My baptism won't save me. My church membership won't save me. I don't have any good works, so my good works certainly can't save me. Lord Jesus, only you can. When you do that, you are born again. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. And the first time that happened was here on the day of Pentecost. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that something else happened. The middle wall of partition, the wall that was between the Jew and the Gentile, there was a wall between them. That wall is torn down. So now in Christ, if you are born again, we're neither Jew nor Greek. We're neither Jew nor Gentile. We're Christians. We are all one in Christ. Male, female, we are one in Christ. It's all about Jesus God did all of that on the day of Pentecost. That's when that took place. It's amazing. Not only that, but the message that would be preached changed. The message had been, look, the Messiah is here. Look at the Messiah. We're going to see that in our text. The Messiah is here. But they rejected the Messiah. So now the message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message that we now preach. That's the message that changed at Pentecost. 
That's what's going on. And so at Pentecost, y'all ready for this? Is the first Christian sermon. We're going to see what the first Christian sermon looks like. And this is what every Christian sermon ought to look like. And it's the sermon of the Apostle Peter. You know, it's an amazing thing about Peter. Peter was the one who stepped out and walked on the water. Remember? Then he got nervous and fell. And Jesus said, oh, you have a little faith. Why did you stop looking at me? Then they come to arrest Jesus Christ in the garden. And Peter's the one that draws the sword and tries to cut off the guy's head. And he turns his head and cuts off his ear. And Jesus reaches down and says, oh, Peter. Wipes off the ear. <laughs> puts it back on. That's Peter. Peter's the one that he had denied Christ and he thought Jesus was going to establish his kingdom because he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had seen Moses and Elijah there about talking about the death that Jesus would accomplish. He thought that Jesus was about to establish his kingdom. That's why he said, let's build three tabernacles. Peter messed it up and messed it up and messed it up. And yet here he is on the day of Pentecost. This is just a couple of days later. And he stands up filled with the Holy Spirit of God and preaches the first sermon in the history of Christianity. And what a masterpiece it is. Let's start reading in verse 22 and look at what Peter said. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Ye men of Israel. So who is his audience? Men of Israel. Hear these words. The difference between preaching and teaching, teaching is communicating information. Preaching is boldly communicating the word of God and demanding a response. If you are here today, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, and God the Father, the Godhead, they are calling you to do something. Preaching of the word of God, it's not just giving information. It's information that needs to be received, believed, and acted upon. That's what preaching is. So notice what he says. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Like the town crier, hear ye, hear ye. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus. On that day, the day of the great feast, he stood and he crowed with a loud, cried with a loud voice. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Imagine standing up on a feast day. He doesn't say, come to the Lord. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. I promise I will not one time this day tell you to come to me. I will point you to Jesus Christ. He is the one that we preach this morning. But again, the, the, the style of preaching of the first Christian sermon, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Now, notice the title that he gives Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Not King of kings and Lord of lords. They didn't know that's who he was. They thought he was just some Jewish prophet. He came, he said blasphemous things, so we killed him. On his cross, it said King of the Jews, but it also said Jesus of Nazareth. The way that they knew Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just a standard Jewish title. But oh, what a man. You men of Israel, hear these words. Here's the first thing that I want you to see about God. He approved of Jesus. 
God the Father approved of God the Son. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, what does it say right here? Approved of God. Look at those next words. Among you. By miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. Oh, look at this. As ye yourselves also know. Notice what he's saying. Men of Israel, this Jesus obviously approved of God because he did signs and wonders and miracles among you. In the midst of you. How many of you would love to see Jesus do that? I would. I want to see what he looks like. Now, we'll never know what he looked like. We'll never know what he looked like when he was doing that. Why? Because he still bears in his body the scars. The Bible says that he was marred more than any man. The Bible says he gave his cheeks to the smiters. They, they ripped his face off. That's what they did to Jesus. And the book of Revelation says, I saw one. What does it say? As a lamb, having been slain, he still bears in his body those scars. We'll never see what he looked like, but we'll still get to see him. Oh, I can't wait to see him. That Fanny Crosby, she was a blind songwriter, and she talked about the the first person she'll ever see is Jesus Christ. How about that? I would love to see him. They did. Jesus walked among them. He, He was approved of God in their midst. You know, there are people today that say, if only I could see him, I would believe. Well, the Bible says, blessed are you who having not seen believe. Right? Because faith doesn't come by seeing. It comes by believing. But they saw him. They should have believed. There are people today that say, if only I could see him. If only I saw the risen Christ. Because, of course, dead men don't get up and walk. They believed he did. All Listen. All of these Jews believed he did because it happened among them. Look at what it says. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. What a great message. You know this. We, we live in a religious community. Amen. Man, I'm so thankful. How many of you are glad this is not a pagan community? I'm very, very thankful for the city that I got to raise my kids in, Sydney, Ohio, Shelby County, Ohio. We're praying for Piqua. I'm very thankful that I got to raise my kids in this community. I'm very thankful. But what we need to tell a religious religious community is Jesus rose from the dead, as you know. As you know. Jesus did signs and wonders. As you know. Jesus rose from the dead. As you know. Jesus is God and the Son of God. As you know. Man, that's a great place to start from. It's a great place to start. From which to start, Nathan or Nathaniel. There we are. Him being delivered. Oh, my. Look at what it says. Verse 23. Here's the next thing that God did. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified him. 
by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. See, here's one of the problems that these Jewish men were experiencing. How can he be the Messiah and also have died? How can the one who was born to be ruler in Israel, how is the one who is to sit on the throne of David, how could he die? Here's how. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Can I tell you something? He's, that baby's fine. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's how. How many of you know you can't kill God? You know, the, the stories in the Old Testament, those accounts where they put the Ark of the Covenant in with the Philistines. And was it Dagon? Was that, was that the God? They walked in, Dagon's tipped over. They came in the next morning, they set him up. Next morning, Dagon was his hands and his head are off or something. You, you just, the other gods are not real gods. They have to bow before the one true God, the only God. You can go and destroy. If we went into any of the pagan temples in the world, we can destroy those gods. You and I, now I'm not recommending it, but you and I could destroy those gods. Go into these temples where people are bowing before idols and worshiping these idols. We humans can destroy those gods. No one could kill God. No one can kill the one true God. What did Jesus Christ say? No one takes my life. I lay it down willingly. This is by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house a few weeks ago and we were talking, I was talking with them. And, of course, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that he actually rose from the dead. They don't believe that he was actually killed. And in, what she was trying to get me to understand is if Jesus had died and he's going to destroy this world, then, then his plan had failed. His plan didn't fail. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, listen to this, Jesus Christ ordained the cross. He ordained the virgin birth. He ordained his sinless life. He ordained that he would be spat upon, that he would be beaten, and he ordained that those nails would be driven into his hands and feet. He ordained that the crown of thorns would be beaten into his skull, and then he said, let there be light. This was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Mary didn't understand these things. She didn't understand these things. I can't imagine what it was like for Mary at the cross. This is the, this is the one who has a baby. She held in her hands. She bathed him. She fed him. She cared for him. She knew the miracle of the virgin birth better than anyone. Would you all agree with that? And yet, when he was on that cross, she's there. Remember, what did Jesus say? Mother, behold thy son. He pointed out John, the beloved disciple to her. I'm sure that John cared for Mary for the rest of his life. 
Can you imagine what that was like? She didn't understand it, but Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. It was the determinate counsel. Now, that's an interesting thing. Look at verse 23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Counsel. Now, we, sometimes you'll get a lawyer and he's your counselor. Sometimes you're getting ready to make a major life decision and you go to someone that you trust, a godly person, and you get some counsel. Before Jacob went to college, he he took counsel from some of our businessmen, some of our engineers in the church about what's the best career to pursue. He he received counsel. Many of us, we, we hope there are times when we don't know what to do, that there are godly people around us who can give us counsel. Who is God's counselor? The Godhead. God the Father. God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus Christ say in Hebrews chapter 10? In, in the blood of bulls and goats, he said, you, you, don't, you don't find satisfaction. But what did Jesus say to the Father? But a body hast thou prepared me. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. He go, I go to do thy will. Jesus Christ the Son. The preexistent one. The eternal one. The eternal Son of God. In the counsel, in counsel with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, they determined the way to save mankind is by that second person of the Godhead. Why is he called the second person? Is he less? No, he's the second one listed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is equally God as God the Father, equal in power, equal in majesty, equal in attributes, equal in eternality with God the Father and God the Son. That's the one who came to indwell us on the day of Pentecost. That's the counsel. Look at what it says in verse 23 again. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. But what about human responsibility? Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That wicked hands is an interesting thing. Who is he speaking to? Look at verse 22 again. Ye men of Israel. Who are these wicked hands? These wicked hands. Well, if we're being honest, we're all sinners. So any human that laid hands on Jesus. But I believe there's something more here. He's talking to the men of Israel. The men of Israel couldn't kill Jesus on that day because it was the Passover. They were religious. They couldn't do it. Who did they have do it? The Romans, the Gentiles. Remember, I mentioned when I was in Israel, you know, 10 years ago, that I'm walking down the street and an Orthodox Jewish, Jewish young man walked by me and he'd go like this so he wouldn't have to look at a Gentile. That's how they look at the wicked. And they took those wicked hands. They had the Romans do the work that they could not do themselves because they were religious zealots, religious and lost. They killed Jesus. But they couldn't have done it without God. Approved of God, which God did among you by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And then, look at what it says in verse, what else did God do? Verse 24. Whom, talking about Jesus, God hath raised up. He raised him up. And what I love, the Bible says he's the first fruits of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians. You know what that means? Because he lives, we can live also. We're all sinners. 
Every one of us, we deserve hell. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. All have gone astray. The wages of sin is death. What death? But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sorcerers and whoremongers and idolaters. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what we deserve. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid that penalty and then he rose from the dead. Now here's an interesting thing. Look at what it says in this text, verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. It's not possible. First of all, it's not possible to kill God. But when Jesus took on flesh and bones so that God could die, it was impossible for him to stay dead. It was impossible for death to hold on to him. Why? Because he was sinless. See, when you die, and it's coming, amen? And as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, all of us will taste death, unless the Lord returns before then. When you die, If you are trusting in your good works, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible makes it very clear over and over and over again that our works do not save us. As a matter of fact, at the judgment, at the great white throne judgment, at the end of time, When Jesus Christ sits on that throne and judges those who have not trusted in him. Listen to what it says. You're going to be judged by your works. You're going to be judged by your works. And there's only one verdict. That lake of fire. That's what you get for your works. All those good things that you're doing that you think are going to take you to heaven. If that's what you want to be judged by, God will let you be judged by that. And there's only one verdict. The lake of fire for eternity. Say, Brother Jim, you came to church. I came to church today. I I came with friends. I, I wanted to hear a good message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you why he died. And the result of it, the first Christian message, what does Peter say to them? Verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You did this. And my message to you today is you are a sinner. You are a sinner. Your good works will only give you one result. And that's why it says, the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. If I, the Bible says, if I could save myself, then Jesus died in vain for nothing. What do we do? 
Verse 24. Oh, this is, what, this is the point I was making. Look at what it says. Verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. You see, if you die, trusting in your good works, you say, well, I believe in Jesus too, but I'm believing that I need to help him, if that's what you believe. You're going to wake up in hell. And do you know how long you'll be there? Forever. Heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. Hell is awful because God is not there. Heaven is wonderful because God is. You're with God or you're without God. And if you go to hell, you have chosen that. That's what, that's what you're choosing. By rejecting the one free gift that can save you. And that's believing in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection by faith and asking him to be your savior, acknowledging that he is God. Why was it not possible for death to hold him? Because Jesus was sinless. See, he could actually pay the penalty. The reason that you will spend eternity in hell is because you can never pay it. The penalty is eternal. Jesus Christ was sinless. And because he was that sinless sacrifice, he is able to purge our sins forever. And so now when God the Father sees Jim Alter, even though I am just a sinner just like you, when God the Father sees G Jim Alter, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because I am clothed in a righteousness that is not mine, a foreign righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It wasn't possible for death to hold him because he's perfect. He's sinless. And my sin was placed on him. Verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Jesus Christ's body never corrupted. It couldn't. It couldn't. He's perfect. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. And he's speaking to men and brethren. I'm not better than you. I'm one of you. We're, we're together in this. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. That, that's just the father, David. That he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with him an oath, had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So a descendant of David would be raised up to sit on David's throne. Who is that? Would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. We're looking at the first Christian sermon. What's he doing? He's expounding the scriptures. He's showing them Jesus in the Bible. He's preaching to religious people from their own book. That's what he's doing. This is the preaching that we are to do. Verse 31 
He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. But what did God do? This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof, look at, we all are witnesses. Him, Peter, the other 11, we're all witnesses of this. We're here standing before you. Many of you know this because he was seen by more than 500 people, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He rose from the dead. We're all witnesses. But look at what else God has done. This is so fun. Verse 30 again. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That's the throne of David. Jesus isn't sitting on the throne of David yet. He's seated at his fa- in his father's throne, at his father's right hand right now. That's where he is. You know what this tells us? The story's not over. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back to this earth, and he's going to rule and reign on this earth. Every born-again person is going to rule and reign with him on this earth. But not yet. The Bible says, we see not yet all things put under his feet. That passage I just quoted is actually quoted in this sermon. But let's look at what else he says. Verse 34. Look at verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. That's the Holy Ghost indwelling these people. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, look at what else God did, that God hath made that saying, Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's no longer Jesus of Nazareth because of his, because he died. He, the Bible says that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But what is left out of that? He's Lord because that's to the world. To the Jews, he is your Christ. He is your anointed one. He is your Messiah. You crucified Jesus of Nazareth, but he is Lord in Christ. That's who God has made him to be. That's who God has ordained him to be. That's who God has allowed him to be. But more than that, that's who he is from eternity. He is both Lord and Christ. What has God done? What has God done? He's given us a Lord. He's given us a Messiah. And look at what the men say. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, and look at how they address them. They're not outsiders. Remember what it started? Look at, look at what it says. Verse 12, 
And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking, these men are full of new wine. They're drunk. These men are drunk. Now, look at what it says. Verse 37, middle of the verse, end of the verse. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Remember I said the difference between teaching and preaching? Preaching is boldly proclaiming the word of God and demanding a response. Based on Peter's sermon, based on the word of God, based on what you have heard today, what should you do? It's the same thing that we should always do. Repent. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remember I said every person that's born again, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. When do you get that? When you repent. Well, do I have to be baptized to be saved? No. How do I know that? Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's the baptism? The baptism is the visible sign that you have repented. How many of you know babies have a hard time repenting? See, this is why you get baptized after you believe. Notice I said earlier, your baptism can't save you. What can save you? Calling on the name of the Lord. Here's something that's really fun. Verse 21 again, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why doesn't it say call upon the name of Jesus? Acknowledging that he existed won't save you. He must be your Lord. There are many people who believe in the historicity of Christ. They believe in the historical Jesus. As a matter of fact, there are many books and videos about the historical Jesus. There are many people who believe that he lived. They just don't believe he's God. They don't believe he died as a substitute for their sin. They don't believe that he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. And so, those people believing in Jesus go straight to hell. Man, I don't want that for you. What should you do? Repent. This is really fun. So verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a quotation from Joel 2.32. But do you know what it says there? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Eventually, Israel will call upon the name of the Lord and God will deliver them from their enemies. That's not salvation. We can win lots of military victories. That doesn't mean we get to go to heaven. Here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God changes the message. You can be born again. You can be saved. What should we do? We should repent. If you're here this morning and you came, you came because it's Easter. You came to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You came to worship with people that you love, with friends, someone that's invited you. You got a gift card. If you're, I mean, a, 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 an invite card. It could turn into a gift card, the gift of eternal life. I don't know. I think the guest bags have a gift card in them too. You guys are not guests. 
Brethren, what should we do? Repent. What does that mean? What have you been trusting in for eternal life? Have, we, have you even been believing in eternal life? What have you been trusting in? If it's not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, then you must be born again. You must be born again. That's what repentance is. It's changing your mind about what you've been believing about your sin and the Savior. Changing your mind about what you believe about your sin and the Savior. Your sin is bad enough to take you to hell. And the Savior is the only one who can save you. Listen, he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. You don't need me to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior today, if you just step out when we sing, or to sing a song in a minute, we'll have people take the Word of God and show you how you can leave here a child of God, the greatest gift that you could ever receive. I'm going to do this one last thing. You guys know what I'm going to do. Kyle, come on up here. Got my pelican fountain pen. And Kyle, I want to make this a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it, right? Just receive it. Now, in order to keep that, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 20 years. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift. How many of you know that you can't work for a gift? Right? Thank you. You can be seated. This is what religion teaches. We live in a religious community. Here's what religion teaches. Yes, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, I believe that you have to receive that truth. But you also have to do these things. You have to take communion. You have to be baptized. You have to, you have to do these things. And you have to keep doing them in order to go to... You've you got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years, the next 20 years, the rest of your life. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages, what you get for what you do, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First John says it this way, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And then it goes on to tell us there's only two kinds of people in the world, not black and white, not rich and poor, not male and female. There's only two kinds of people in the world. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The only way that you can be saved is by receiving Christ. Now, I know many of you have been told that you receive Christ every time you take a, a wafer. Now, no, that's not what the Bible is talking about. When you trust him as your Savior, when you receive that free gift of eternal life, that is how you have eternal life. Forgiveness of sin. I'm so thankful that I stand before you forgiven. Forever. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I want for you. If you'd like to receive Christ today, please just let us know. We would love to take the word of God and show you how, can you, how you can receive that gift. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this amazing passage of scripture. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent.